Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Amen. Good morning. We were singing, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. And I was thinking about when Jesus looked at the disciples, because John says that he was the light of the world and he came into the world. But then there's this time where Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, you're the light of the world. It went from I am the light of the world to now you're the light of the world. And I was thinking about how he fully intended for darkness to tremble when you stepped into the room. Just as much as when he stepped into the room because he put himself inside of you. But Jesus fully intended that when you walked into the room, that he walked into the room because he put himself inside of you. And he said, you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill. And he said, no one, no one lights a, a lamp and then puts a basket over it. And he's like, I didn't set you on fire so that you could then go and hide. I didn't set you in, on fire so you could gather with other people inside of a building for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning and expect that that's the fullness of the purpose of me setting you on fire. I actually, this right here, what we do on Sunday morning should be something that actually encourages us, that spurs us on, that makes us more like him, that we minister to each other, we encourage each other, we spur each other on in love and good deeds so that when we leave... We bring Jesus into a place where Jesus isn't. We take Jesus into the darkness. We, where we go into school, we go into to our work, where we go into the places that we go, the kingdom of heaven comes with us. Like literally, you make the darkness tremble, but you don't know it sometimes because you're so busy looking at who you aren't that you're not even taking your eyes off of yourself and looking at him and seeing who he's made you be. And, and, and like, like you walk into the room and, the, and Jesus is in you and the, the kingdom of darkness is trembling until you see something or you, or you hear something and suddenly you start to tremble. And then they realize they don't even know who they are. They don't even believe. If they believed, they wouldn't be trembling with fear right now. And it's never supposed to be that way. It's never supposed to be that, that we are influenced by what we see and hear. We're supposed to be influenced by what we've seen and heard. And make sure you're with him so that you're seeing and hearing from him and with him so that when you go out and you see and hear, you have a better word already inside of you. You have a deeper truth already inside of you so that you're not shaken by the things that you see or the things that you hear because you've been strengthened by what you've seen and heard when you were alone with him. You notice Jesus very rarely had to go off and be alone when he faced something. Like he didn't come across the problem and be like, wait a minute, I got to go be with my father for a minute. I will be back. Why? Because early in the morning while everyone was sleeping, Jesus would wake up and go be alone with the father. And then when he came across something during the course of the day, he already had what he needed because he'd been with him. He didn't put it on hold and say, okay, they, they didn't bring people that were sick to him and him say, ooh, I better go fast and pray. Why? Because he was fasting and praying when no one was watching so that when everyone was watching, he could act on what he'd received when no one saw. You realize, like, he has no desire for you to burn out. And the recipe for burnout is simple. It's trying to live like Jesus in public without living like Jesus in private. If you're not living like Jesus lived in private, you can't live like Jesus lived in public. He was Jesus and he needed it. 
That's why it always kills me when people are like, oh, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. When did Christianity become about have-tos? And, and seriously, like, you read about Jesus, and it's like, and I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor. Like, I've loved going to the house of God for a long time. Like, when I first got born again, and I realized the reality of God from that time on, like, there was something in me. It was like, I want to be with other people. I want to learn. I want to hear. I want to worship. I want to, I want to, and then I realized that I carried something, and it was no longer just me going to receive. And I'm like, I want to be there in case, what if, what if heaven needs me? Like, what if I'm supposed to pray for people or, 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 or give a word to somebody or, or just hug somebody and smile at them and display the kindness of God that brings men to changing their mind? Like, you realize, like, it, it, when, in Romans it says it's this kindness that leads us to repentance. Smiling at somebody is an act of kindness. Hugging somebody. Telling them you love them. Like, it doesn't have to all be supernatural things. Like, you genuinely can just show kindness to people. And display the heart of the Father towards them and start to change the way that they think. And so, Jesus was always getting alone. He was always praying. When no one else was watching, he would get alone with the Father so that when everyone was watching, he carried what he needed. And it said, and Jesus, as was his custom, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath to read. Jesus, as was his ethos, Jesus, as was his learned habit pattern of behavior, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. And I'm like, people are like, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I'm thinking, no, but Jesus went to church to be Jesus, and he's the goal. We probably could use it. And the truth of the matter is, is like, when did Christianity become figuring out what's the least I can possibly do and still say that I'm following Jesus? I'm being serious. Like, I'm not saying it for, like, a gotcha. I'm, like, like, genuinely ask myself that. Like, when did we boil this thing down to? What's the least I can possibly do and still call myself a follower of Jesus? Like, I thought the goal was how much like him can I become? How much more can I be recreated into the image of, of the one who created me for his image and likeness? How much more can I become love? And I, and I know, I know. Churches everywhere you go. Yeah, everywhere you go, you are the church. But that word ecclesia that, that's used there is used a bunch of times in predominant use in the New Testament is talking about a gathering of believers, and typically it was in a synagogue on the Sabbath. I got a little quieter here. It's okay. <laughs> There's a difference between the church that we are, which is the body of Christ, and the corporate gathering, which is described in the word. There's a difference between the two. The corporate gathering is made up of the body coming together and corporately gathering. You can direct your emails of frustration and anger to Jesus. <clears throat> I'm sure he'll be happy to answer them. He might not because there's times where he actually wants us to search things out and he doesn't give us a straight up answer right away so that we'll actually pursue him for the answer that he wants us to discover. I actually want to talk about that this morning a little bit because we've been talking the past couple of weeks, it seems like we, we've come into this thing of expectation from God and God changing the way that we see things. You know, we're talking about Abraham and how God had to actually change what he was looking at so that he could actually see the possibility of God doing what God promised to do. And so... Um, and then we talked last week just about how discouragement and disappointment come and how often they come 
as a, as a result of, of us putting our focus on what we haven't seen God do yet or something that we feel like God didn't do that we expected. And we start to build our theology, if we're not careful, more on disappointment and discouragement than we do on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And we start to let discouragement be the loudest voice that's speaking when we're looking at a situation because we're remembering that time when and what about this so-and-so. And we have all these questions because we're saying, well, it can't possibly just be as simple as meaning this because, and we drag our experience out and hold it up against God's word and then decide that our experience is worth trusting more than his word. And, 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 and we, we do that a lot of times uh, with discouragement, disappointment, but another time that that happens is when, when either we don't understand or we don't want to understand because what we would understand would mean we'd have to change what we currently know. Because sometimes we'd rather hold on to what we think is true than the truth that's being presented to us so plainly and so clearly. Because we, we have this thing sometimes, like all of us have had it, where it's like, have you ever been in an argument and had that moment where you realized you were wrong? <laughs> it's like the worst moment ever. You're like, it dawns on you. You know, you're like, I'm wrong. <laughs> and you have a choice. You can humble yourself and say, I was wrong. There, there was something I didn't know. Or what I thought was true, now that I've learned this, I see that while that might have been true, this is truer. Or just clearly, I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. And you can humble yourself and do that right? Or you can continue the argument and try to turn it into something else that you could possibly walk away and feel like you have a victory in. You know, like you're arguing about the color of the carpet and suddenly you change it to, well, the lights overhead and what they do. And then it's all of a sudden the argument's all about the fluorescent spectrum because that's where you're an area where you're an expert in and you can bring people into that area and wow them with your brilliance and walk away feeling like you've won. But the truth is so many times in life we would be good to just stop and consider what's being said and say, I think I had that one wrong. It's okay. Why do we expect to be so good at everything like, that we can't ever learn a new thing? Like, what if your kids at like five years old, when they, when they were able to start cognitively having you know, logical, rational discussions with you, came to you one day and said, you know, I feel like I've probably learned everything I need to learn at this point. I'll thank you to not try to give me any new information. I've got it from here. Like, you'd look at them and you'd be like, there's so much you don't know. And yet we have a heavenly father who for eternity will still be discovering the depths of his love for us and his goodness and who he is. And yet we come to this point sometimes at 25, 35, 45, 55 years old where we basically say, I think I've learned everything that I need to learn. Thank you very much. I'll thank you to not give me any new information, especially new information that would shake my old information. I'll take it from here. We don't say that to him because it sounds so ridiculous that you can't even imagine having that conversation with him, but sometimes we position our hearts and our attitudes in this way, where it's like, well, I think I've learned everything I need to learn. I'll take it from here. And when we do that, we risk growing, and we risk not, uh, uh, not becoming more like Jesus, because the capacity we have to be changed stops with the capacity we have to learn more. Revelation of him is what changes us. And the moment we get to a place where we determine that we have all wisdom and revelation that we need, we have decided where we are going to stop being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. Because every time we change, it's because revelation comes.
It's because as we see him, we become like him. And so if we want to continue to become like him, we have to continue to see him, which means we might have to unsee some things we thought we saw. I'll, I'll get there in a second. I promise it's biblical. I'll, I'll, we're going to read a ton of scripture. Because um, sometimes people say, well, it's, it's like, they're like, we, you only read like two scriptures. And I'm like, yeah, that was to, to bring us to the place. But if you listen to the message, I'll say like 50 of them. I just don't always say where they're at because I, honestly, my memory doesn't work that way. I can see the words on the pages, but the numbers and the, and the, loca- the addresses escape me a lot of times. Um, but I promise they're all in there. But, but we're going to read a bunch right now. So turn to John chapter 6. And this is actually a message I started to preach one Sunday a while ago and then got onto something else and only preached a little bit of it. So I wanted to, there was some stuff in there and some, and some new stuff that I've seen, but I think it ties into what we've been talking about a lot. And I honestly feel like it's on God's heart for us um, with, the, with the season of life that we're walking into or the time of life that we're walking into. Um, so John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If we ever have this idea that like everything that happens on the earth is the will of God, think about Jesus having to surrender his will to the will of the Father. And realize that like, at some point in your life, you probably will have to do that too. And if you aren't doing that, then what you're doing is probably not the will of the Father. Because Jesus said, I have my will and his will. I came not to do his, but to do his. This is Jesus. Again, this isn't like my theology that I'm making up to try to convince you of something. This is Jesus opening his mouth and speaking and saying, hey guys, I had a will of my own. I came here not to do that. But not to do that, man, I had to actually yield, to, yield that to this. At some point in our lives, we probably should come to a place where we realize not everything that I want to do is what he wants for me to do, so I should surrender my wants and my desires, deny myself, and take up my cross and follow him. I can't follow Jesus. I can't even pick up my cross unless I've actually denied myself, which means what? I have to put aside me and put on Christ. And then I can actually follow the Father. You know the only people who should be desiring spiritual gifts are people that have denied themselves? Because it says pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Well, who is love? Jesus. And you can't pursue or go after Jesus unless you denied yourself. Come on, listen. I'm being serious. Listen. We have a bunch of people out there that haven't denied themselves that are desiring spiritual gifts because have half of a verse, but the verse says pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. If you haven't denied yourself, you're not pursuing Jesus. You have no business wanting a spiritual gift because if he gave it to you, you would use it in a way that promoted yourself and people would be hurt and you'd be a noisy, clanging symbol. So make sure that while you're earnestly desiring your spiritual gifts that you're waking up every morning and not living for you. And if you are living for yourself and your desires are selfish, James says this. He says, if you have selfish ambition and and prideful desires, don't lie against the truth. What's he saying? Like, don't don't deceive yourself. Like, don't just say, no, I don't. That doesn't make it so. It makes you a hypocrite. Like, James says, if if that stuff's going on in your heart, don't so lie against the truth. He's saying, like, if God shows you that stuff, like, don't lie to yourself. The worst lies in the world are the ones we tell ourselves. Because who's going to correct us? 
Like the only one that can correct us at that point is Holy Spirit. Because only you know what you're seeing in your own heart. And only you know your own answer. See, this is what happens. I get up here with all these plans, and then I, I, something drops in my spirit like that that I've been meditating on for a little while, and I'm like, I have to say this, and then I'm like, Lord, do I go back to what I was saying? But I think it ties together. All right, we made it to verse 37, and we're going to 69. We'll get to it sooner or later. All the Father gives me will, not, will, come, will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that everyone has seen the father except the one who is from God, He's seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And this bread also, which I give for the life of the world, is my flesh. Then the Jews began arguing with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? You notice first it starts with grumbling against God, and then it turns into arguing amongst one another. When our hearts are positioned to where we've given ourselves the right to grumble against God, it's not long after that that we will actually turn on one another and begin to argue with ourselves. The thing that keeps us in unity is the fact that we're all pointed in the same direction towards him. And we're letting what he says be the thing that we're going after and be the thing that we follow. When that gets out of whack, it doesn't take very long for this to get out of whack. And that's why James said, I keep going back to James, he says, where you see this, selfish, uh, this um, striving and envy, there is every evil thing. Why was he saying that? Because the way that you get to striving and envying and, and arguing amongst yourselves is to turn away from the Father and begin to give yourself permission to grumble against him. Once you've done that, there's no end to the amount of evil that can enter into your life. Why? Because you've taken your eyes off of him. And the only way to walk in purity, the only way to walk in holiness, the only way to walk the way he's called us to walk, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, you know, you're called to that. Like, that's not just a suggestion of like, hey, wouldn't it be nice if we walked worthy of our calling? No, he says you should walk in a manner worthy of your calling. That's not legalism. That's Jesus. I'm convinced Jesus wouldn't be allowed to preach in a lot of churches today. He would get called a Pharisee. I promise. Because he had a lot of things to say that confronted a lifestyle that's super casual towards the things that he spoke and called us to. Right, we'll get there. 
The Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, but he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he taught in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. He said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The spirit, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that we have this amazing Bible that we can open and hear you speak. We can open it and read the very words that Jesus, the King of the universe, spoke as he walked on this earth in the likeness and image of a man. God, as we, as we open your word and we read from your word and we teach and we, we speak from your word, I pray that it would be from your spirit, God, that your spirit would give the words and your spirit would also give us the understanding and the revelation that your words contain, that our lives would not simply just be a nod and an agreement and then walk away unchanged, but that we would actually be changed and transformed to become more like you as your word transforms us. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So <clears throat> Jesus comes on to the scene, and he goes into the synagogue, and, and he starts making these statements, and the Jewish people are very highly offended with this stuff, because it goes against what they have learned and been taught. It actually goes against some things that they were taught that God gave to Moses. And, and here's the thing is this, is when God speaks something to you, there's some words that have a shelf life where he calls you to something for a season. So he says, this is not okay right now in your life. And that doesn't mean it's not okay forever unless he says, this is never okay. But you have to remember that when he speaks, like sometimes there's a shelf life on it. And sometimes it's something he's calling you to for a season. Like if he calls you to fast and give up food, it's not saying you're never to eat again. He's just saying for this season, it's wrong for you to eat because now that I've spoke something contrary to what you naturally would do, you have a choice to be obedient and be blessed by it, or to be disobedient, and not walk in the fruit of the blessing of that. But, but it doesn't mean forever. And so, so now Jesus is on the scene, and he's saying things that contradict in their minds what, G, what God has already spoke. And he says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, wait a minute, that's cannibalism. That's strictly forbidden in the law. Duh. Still forbidden. It made, that one made it past the cross. <laughs> but what he's saying is so offensive to them, and, and, and he says, I'm the bread of life. I've come down from heaven. He starts talking about God being his father. And the first thing that they do, there's, there's three different responses in this. Um, and, and, and I think they're the three responses that we see a lot of times when God is speaking to us or, or bringing revelation into our lives. And the first one is that 
they respond to what they don't understand by pointing out a truth that they know that would contradict the truth that he's speaking. Verse 41, therefore the Jews were grumbling about him saying, because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose mother and father we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? What they're doing is they're allowing what they know about Jesus to contradict and to trump what Jesus is standing in front of them speaking. And they say, wait a minute, we know something that contradicts what he's saying, and so we'll put our faith in what we know and what we've seen rather than what he's saying. If you ever find yourself in a position where Jesus is speaking, where Scripture is speaking, and you're letting something that you know in the natural contradict what Jesus is speaking through his word, you're wrong. And it's probably pride. Because pride would rather find something wrong with the person that's speaking it than actually submit themselves to the truth that's being spoke. Come on, if someone is speaking a truth to you that confronts something that you know or that you think or that you have understanding or revelation on, and your first response is to find something wrong with them so you can discredit what they're saying, you're so caught in pride. Because the Bible talks a whole lot more about being careful how we hear than it does about how we speak. Why? Because wisdom is speaking in the streets. Proverbs says that it says wisdom is crying out in the streets, but who will hear? No, wisdom is everywhere. It can come from the person that you don't like or that you know something about. And if you would be humble and actually hear what they're saying rather than try to find something wrong with the person saying it, you might receive from someone that actually gets on your nerves, irritates you, or that you know something about. There's a lot of people that know some things about who I was. And as long as they hold that against me, they will never be able to hear who I am speaking. And so they're going, wait a minute. We found something wrong with the first thing he said. We're not going to hear the rest of it. Why? Because for them to receive what he was going to say next, they had to not get stuck on the thing that they knew. When you get stuck on this one thing, when you have one verse that keeps you from hearing anything else, there's a, there's a few verses in the Bible that people hold on to, and every other revelation in the Bible seems to contradict their understanding of that. But they'll quote that one verse as the answer to anything, and then not receive the, the entirety of Jesus' life revealed, the entirety of Scripture, the entirety of the heart of the Father that's demonstrated throughout the entire New Covenant. Because of a couple verses, we should probably say, I'm going to let those verses remain on, uh, go on hold and be on pause because it keeps me from being able to clearly see what all of Scripture seems to be saying and what all of Scripture seems to be revealing and so many verses that seem to say the opposite. I'm not going to hang my theology on one verse at the expense of 500 verses. I'll say, I don't really understand this, but I clearly understand all of that. Or... We can let what we know keep us from hearing the rest of the revelation that Jesus wants to bring. And that's what's happening here. They're like, we know something about him. I wrote this out. Their assumption that what they knew is true makes what he, makes what he is saying not true doesn't change the truth. It just makes them unable to walk in the fruit of it. Not being able to let go of earthly natural wisdom when it opposes what Jesus is saying or what Jesus modeled is a sure way to insulate ourselves against the truth. 
Not being able to say, you know what, I knew this, but now that Jesus has spoke, that's in question. I'm going with what he said versus what I know. I thought I knew who his father was, but he's standing in front of me saying that his father is in heaven. I thought I knew where he came from because here's the thing. Joseph wasn't his father. In the natural, he's his father. And to everybody who wasn't in Mary's room when the angel came or when the Holy Spirit came on her and she conceived, because sometimes God does something that you don't know about, and so you're forced to judge with your eyes what you see, but there's more going on than what you see. And if you let what you've seen trump what he's saying, you may want to ask yourself, maybe I wasn't in the room. Maybe I wasn't there when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and she conceived a child inside of her womb whose father is the one who is in heaven. But they're unwilling to let go of that and consider that what Jesus is saying may trump what they've always known. Why? Well, because they have years of seeing him be the son of Jesus, Joseph and Mary. Just because you've believed a lie for a long time doesn't mean the lie is true. Just because you've believed a truth for a long time, which there was truth to the fact that Joseph was his father in an earthly sense, doesn't mean that there's not a greater truth that actually trumps the truth that you know. You've known a lesser truth for 30 years. You have to be willing to let go of that when a greater truth walks onto the scene and starts speaking. I'm telling you, if you don't hear me say anything else today, hear me say this. You've known a lesser truth for 30 years, maybe. You have to be willing to allow what Jesus says to offend that lesser truth so that you can receive the greater truth. Because they have 30 years of knowing him as Joseph's son, Jesus. And they're unwilling to let go of that when truth begins to speak. And because of that, they can't hear him. And they can't receive what he's bringing. Like God, don't ever let us get to a place where something that is a lesser truth that we've known for 30 years would keep us from hearing the greater truth that you're speaking now. Because we, we have to live by revelation. We have to live by every word that proceedeth, proceedeth, proceeds from the mouth of the Father. He's actively speaking. I'm not saying that he's going to say something that's going to make us go, well, we've got to add another book to the Bible. It will always fit within the constructs and the constraints of the word of God. I promise you, he's not going to violate his word because if he did, then he's a man that he should lie. But I am saying he may violate your understanding of his word. You may have a lesser truth, and he may come and want to violate that with the truth. And you can stand there. And here's the thing. is You could go around, if you wanted to, and form a society of people that believes that Jesus is the son of Joseph. And you would have all this proof. And you could genuinely, like you could start the church of the, you know, the, the, the Jesus is, is, its father is Joseph. There's whole denominations founded on a lesser truth and holding on and trying to defend a lesser truth. They could have done it. And listen, if you were alive in that day and you weren't in the room and you didn't have revelation from the Holy Spirit and you were judging only by what your eyes have seen and what your ears have heard, you would join the church of Joseph being the father. Because they come to you and they'd say, look, I mean, you know, this is crazy talk. This whole eat my flesh, drink my blood. I mean, I'm not even going to get into that stuff. I mean, obviously that violates the word. 
He is the word. I'm not even going to get into that. Let's just talk about the first thing he said, that he came down from heaven and his father is God. We know who his father is. Hello, it's Joseph. Let me ask you something. When you went into his father's shop when he was six years old, wasn't he there sweeping? When, 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 jo- when Mary and, and Joseph lost him, remember that? Remember, like you haven't screwed up so badly that you've lost God for three days. She lost Jesus for three days. Like, physically. Like, I remember running to the store and forgetting that I was watching Aaliyah and leaving her in her swing. And I was like, because that moment came on my way home where I realized, oh, no. I left Aaliyah at home alone rocking in her swing. And if Patty got there before me, we would have had an awesome discussion. Okay, I forgot about her being in a room safe in a home for 30 minutes. Mary lost him for three days. But when she found him and corrected him, he said, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? But see, you don't hear that and go, wait a minute. His father's a carpenter. What's he doing in the temple teaching? Maybe there's something we don't know. See, there was already clues that were put out there. But once we have our mind made up about something and we've determined to see something a certain way, it doesn't matter what else is presented to us. We're not going to listen to it until we get to a place where we humble ourselves and are willing to let go of the truth that we've always believed for the truth that's standing in front of us speaking. I'm just telling you, someone needs to hear this. When he speaks, it destroys whatever you've believed up to that point that would contradict it. Because darkness was dark until he said, because he is the word, and by him and through him and for him all things are created according to the Bible. Darkness was dark until he spoke and said, let there be light. And then all of a sudden darkness wasn't so dark anymore. Everything changed when he spoke. You could close your eyes and say it's still dark all you want to. It doesn't change the fact that it's light. It just keeps you from living in the fruit of it. I got so stirred up today during worship as we were singing that stuff. Like, like don't ever just come here and sing along. Like, open your heart and, and worship him and let what's coming out of you, like, influence you as you're speaking it. Like, when, you, when we speak those and sing those songs, like, when we sing, and should this life bring suffering, I'll remember what your blood has bought for me both now and forever. Like, it, it, the Bible talks about that. It says that we should actually count it joy when we suffer as good servants. Like when the persecution that you face in this world actually causes suffering in your life because you look so much like Jesus that a world that hates Jesus hates you. Jesus thought that would happen. He thought you would become so like him that anybody that hates him would hate you. He said that. He said, if the world hates you, it's because they hated me first. If they would have loved me, then they would love you, but they hated me. Don't be surprised when they hate you too. What was he saying? He's saying, listen, if you follow me, I'm going to make you look so much like me that anyone that hates me will hate you. I'm not saying go out and be a jerk so that you can be like, I'm suffering for Jesus. <laughs> but, but let him transform you so closely to his image that people that are looking to hate him find you. <clears throat> the problem is that to believe what he is saying meant that they had to accept they didn't fully understand at that point. 
And it would have required putting their faith in what Jesus said rather than what they had always understood. In Hebrews chapter 4, this is what he's talking about. Hebrews 4.1 says this, Therefore, let us fear, if while a promise, of remaining, promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, he's talking about the children of Israel in the desert, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. It's saying, listen, don't miss this. Don't miss that the same good news that's being preached to you about being able to enter into the promises of God was available to those people just as it's available to us. And don't miss the fact that they had this same good news preached to them that we have being preached to us. The only difference is they didn't actually unite what they heard with faith. They didn't let go of what they knew in order to believe what was being said. You know this because they constantly were turning back and looking at themselves and their own inability to do what God was calling them to do rather than letting go of what they believed was possible and putting faith in what he said could be they had to do that one required the other because what jesus spoke contradicted what they knew what the what 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 god spoke to them in the desert contradicted what they knew so when they went into the wilderness when they went into the promised land when they went into canaan and they spied out the land what they were looking at trumped what god had already spoke about the fact that he was giving them the land and because they didn't believe what he said at the expense of what they knew they couldn't enter into it. That's what Hebrews is warning us about. It's saying, listen, be afraid of this. Like, fear this. This is something we should fear. We should fear that at the end of our lives, there will be things that we didn't actually walk in the fruit of because we were unwilling to actually unite our faith in what was said at the expense of what we believed or what we thought or what we saw as possible. I'll close up with this. Oh, there's a whole, look at, that's, that's page two, and I've got seven pages. Yeah, we, I'm, I'm, you know, we're going to do it all, because I honestly, probably what the Lord's wanting is for each of these to be a, a message of its own, the three responses, um, <clears throat> which is cool. I started feeling that right when I started speaking, so I just kind of settled into that. But, but this is what I want to challenge us with, is this, is that in Isaiah, God talks about doing something new. And he says, don't look to the former things. Don't look to the past things. For behold, I'm doing something new. Will you not perceive it? See, he says, it's not that I'm not doing something new right now. And when I say new, I don't mean like new revelation apart from scripture. I'm saying that something that you haven't done before, he wants to do in you and through you. And if you're busy looking back at the former things and thinking, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to be used by Jesus. Even You know, you can romanticize a past season of your life at the expense of the season he wants to bring you into because you look back and you say, that's what it looked like to follow Jesus. And until my life looks like that, I can't say yes to what he's asking me to do. He says, will you not perceive it? The issue is not whether God's doing something right now. It's will we actually perceive what he's doing? Will we say yes to what he's doing? Will we step out of what was and into what is? Are we willing to, when we have that moment, as we read scripture and we hear Jesus's words and it confronts something we've believed, are we okay with humbling ourselves and having that, uh-oh, I was wrong moment? Or will we just tightly hold on to what we thought at the expense of what is? And I, I, I honestly believe, like, 
there's a lot of areas of our lives that if we're not careful are more influenced by what we've always thought, by what we've experienced, by what we've heard, by what we've seen, and not so much by the words that are proceeded from the mouth of God. And I feel like he's confronting a lot of those things right now in a lot of people. We're seeing it. Guys, we were just at, 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 uh, at Clemson's FCA uh, a month ago, and then last week we were at Furman FCA. Um, Ben's actually the, the, the leader, the on-campus staff leader of Furman FCA, and he invited us to come and speak, and we went there. And, and just presenting the simple gospel of Jesus, of what it is to deny ourselves and give our lives and surrender our lives to the lordship of Jesus and be filled with his Holy Spirit and follow him every day of our lives. The simplicity of that gospel, you could see it just crashing in on people. And there's people there, and, and I, I've been saying this a lot lately when I go to these places. I've been saying, listen, there's going to be people when you respond to this that are shocked because you've always put off the image of being someone that follows Jesus. And don't be afraid of what the person next to you might think when you respond to this because they might be thinking the same thing. And then sometimes we've seen whole rows of people just stand up and come running to Jesus and, and surrendering their lives to him. I feel like he's doing it in the earth right now, is that, that there's this, this, this grace on us to preach the simple gospel of Jesus and invite people into that relationship and to just pro, proclaim the truth of who he is and what he's always desired. And it, all it takes in our lives is letting go of anything that doesn't line up with what he said and what he modeled as he was here on earth, because he's our example in all things. He didn't just say it from up on a mountain. He came down and walked with us and modeled what it looked like as he taught. That's why we need to know him through the word. We have to actually see Jesus in the scripture and see what he does. See that he, he doesn't gather with the crowd and throw stones at the woman caught in adultery. He kneels down and he's her defender against those who would throw stones. And he lifts her up and he gives her purpose. And then he corrects her. He says, go and sin no more. The, the, correcting is not, uh, is not, is, is not bad. Correcting is, not, is it's good. It actually says there's a better way to live. But the first thing he does is get down with her and let her understand, I love you and I'm here for you. I'm not with them. I'm not here to cast stones. He said, who he was out sin, cast the first stone. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm the only one here who has the right to cast the stone. And I'm going to give that up because I love you. And I, I, I just, I honestly feel like right now what God is doing is he's just revealing himself so plainly and so openly. But it will take us allowing what he's saying to confront things that we've believed or thought or hurts or disappointments and theology that's been based more on what has or hasn't happened versus what's been coming out of his mouth. So Father, would you just give us a humility? Lord, would you, would you humble us to the point where we just, we, we're willing to lay aside everything and say, I just want you. I just want to know what you're saying, what you're doing, what you're calling me to. I want to know you as, I can, as you can be known. I don't want to be like those who had the same message preached to them, but it benefited them nothing, not because the message wasn't true, but because they were unable to yield to it. Father, if there's any area of our lives that we're unable to yield to what you've said, because we'd rather hold on to what we've known, what we've experienced, what we've seen, what we've heard. Would you just break that in us, God? In the way that you, that you do, with, with your gentleness and your love and your kindness. And just walk us out of that clay, God. And put our feet on you. Where they can't sink. In Jesus' name, amen.